If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 John chapter 3. We'll look at verses 11 through 18. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. The text is printed in the bulletin for you also. Um, so life. Uh, life. Life is about love, right? That's what all the singers say. They tell us. I mean, life's about love, right? I mean, if you, if you don't know that, if you don't acknowledge that, then something's wrong. I think that's true. In this world, it's easy to have distorted views of love. Distorted views of love are shaped, uh, shaped by our family of origin, shaped by cultural artistic expressions, uh, current scientific theories, etc., philosophies, whatnot. Um, it's easy to have the, the wrong view of love, not understand what love really is. It's easy to think about love being just primarily feelings or... Um, or love just being primarily actions, uh, or love being uncontrollable chemical responses to certain stimuli, just sort of an illusion, right? It's easy to think a lot of different things about love, it's, and it, it's easy to invest everything that you have in what you conceive to be love, but really isn't love. And it's easy uh, to shun what you conceive to be love and avoid it like the plague. In other words, it's very easy for us to be confused about what life is about. What life, I mean, if life is about love, it's really easy for us to get it wrong, to be confused about it, uh, to be confused about what love truly is. In fact, we needed God himself to come into the world to tell us and to show us, uh, which is exactly what he did in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He came and uh, showed us what love is. And so it says in our text, which we're about to read, by this we know love. By this we know love. The Bible says a lot about love that we're not going to cover. Um, there's probably a lot about love in our passage that we're not going to cover, but I can see, I think, at least five um, aspects or attributes of love in our text that we'll go through quickly. Um, love, first, is uh, compassionate, and second, it gives up control. It's self-giving. Um, love has concrete expressions, thirdly. Uh, fourth, Love causes a response. True love causes a response. And then fifth, true love is a, a confirmation of eternal life. So it's compassionate. It gives up control. It has concrete expressions. It, it causes a response, and it's a confirmation of eternal life. So that's what true love is. Uh, we'll look at what John has to say about it now. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll read the passage together. Father, we, um, we do sense intuitively that um, life is about love, and we also know that much of our experience and understanding of love is just wrong. And um, so we want to see what true love is. We pray that you would show us in the, the person and work of your son, Jesus, that you would help us understand from uh, this text, your, uh, your scripture, your word, uh, the word of grace, we pray that you would help us to understand and know what love truly is so that we would be able to uh, receive it and be changed by it into the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world 
hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, five points to make fairly quickly. Actually, you know, more points than usual, but it'll probably take less time, I'm hoping. Uh, True love has compassion, right? Uh, That's something um, internal. That's something that has to do with the affections of the heart, right? Compassion is something that goes on inside of you. And that's a little bit instinctive for most of us already. We say things like, when it comes to love, actions speak louder than words, We say things like that, uh, and whether you're talking about actions or words, you're saying something, right? Actions speak. Words speak. Actions speak louder, right, is what we're saying. Well, what do they say? What are they saying? You're communicating something that's going on inside of you. Your heart, right? Where your heart is. Um, So when you say, I love you to someone, it thrills the person who hears it when they understand it to mean that you feel a certain way about them in your heart. Um, if you were to say, I don't feel much for you, but here are these flowers, it doesn't quite say the same thing, does it? Um, we know that that's not, that's not love. We know that. Um, and when we praise God in song, hopefully it's not just empty words, but we use words of love, right? Uh, heart words. Not just words uh, saying what I'm going to do, um, not just words that promise our obedience. We use words that, that reveal what's going on inside of us, how I feel about God, right? I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, so we know that a component of love is affective uh, of the heart, of the affections. We know that a component of love is affective, but this passage teaches something more specific than that. It teaches that, it, that it's compassion, right? Not just any affection, not just any emotion. It's compassion, says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So that heart there is usually, um, usually the word that you see heart in the English language as a translation of what's going on in the, the New Testament is the word cardia, which literally just is talking about your heart. Um, and that, that's often talking about the seat of your affections, right? The seat of your desires and your passions. But this word is not cardia. It's, sounds Klingon, splachna, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's visceral. It's a visceral word. Is it an onomatopoeia because of that? It's, um, it actually means it's, it's like guts, right? It's, it's like your guts. It's your splachna. You know, uh, it, it's your visceral organs. And that, uh, in the, the Hebrew conception of the human being, in Hebrew thought, the bowels were, your, you know, your guts are like the seat of mercy. It's the seat of compassion, right? It's, you are moved 
in that part of you, right? That, um, so that's your heart, and that's where compassion is. True love has these affections. These are strong affections that are, uh, you know, in the scriptures, in the, in the gospels, it said that Jesus is moved with this kind of compassion for people, that God has a heart of tender mercy, this kind of uh, gut-level mercy and compassion for people. So true love, true love that we see in our text, has affections that are tied to the well-being of other people. And you see that in that verse. Uh, it's, you see a need, and you're supposed to be moved in your gut with compassion, with tender mercy to meet that need. Um, it, so it has, uh, you know, these affections that are tied to the well-being of other people who have these needs that you perceive, that you've understood, that you can see. Uh, and these are the internal motivations that drive you then to the recognizable acts of love. The internal component that has to be there if it's going to be real love. Uh, splachna, tender mercy, is the kind of compassion God has toward us, right? It says uh, when it's used of God, it's used of his compassion, his mercy toward us. And that's the same compassion that moved him, moved him at a deep level to come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, not only to live among us, but to give up his life for us, to lay it down for us, right? Uh, that's, that's the tender mercy that's part of this, the compassion that's part of true love that is there uh, in God's heart for us and should be there in our heart for others, uh, which leads to our second point, is that love, uh, this, this kind of love uh, gives itself, it gives up control of itself. Uh, it gives itself to others, right? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We know what love is because he did something. And that something is he, he gave up his power. He gave up uh, his right to determine where his life went. He laid it down for us. He laid his life aside, the language is, uh, like the garment that he laid aside as he washed his disciples' feet. He took that off and laid it down so that he could serve. And um, Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right? So it's that self-gift, that giving up of control that is this uh, component of love. This is where a biblical concept of love begins to differ fundamentally from what often passes for love in our culture. Right? What often passes for love in our culture is not like this, this kind of love. Uh, there might be different things going on inside of our hearts when we say I love you to someone. That, that could be coming from different kind of internal motives. One person has selfish feelings. And another person has selfless feelings. But those motives eventually manifest themselves externally. Someone, um, for example, yearns for romantic love. Something going on very strong, very, very strong uh, motives inside. Yearning for romantic love, they say... I love you. What do they mean? They, they say, I need you. I can't live without you. You give me something that I need. I will do anything for you. Just don't take that away. Right? Just don't leave me. I will do anything for you. Uh, you have to be worth something of value to me in order for me to love you. That's a pretty standard idea in our culture of uh, what love is, like how it expresses itself. Um, but true love, on the other hand, says, uh, I'll give myself to you, period. Right? I'll give up control of my life for your sake. I will give myself for you. True love is prepared even for the highest sacrifice like Jesus gave. Right? 
That's the highest sacrifice. It can't get any more sacrificial, more giving up of your control over your life than laying down your life to the point of death. And that's what true love does. Uh, Christian love in this passage is not romantic love. I mean, we're not, I mean, when we're talking about true love here, we're not talking about the love necessarily that exists between a husband and wife or, or even the, the love that exists between parents and their children. Um, we're talking about generous love. Generous love that moves out to somebody who's pretty different from us, right? Um, that sacrifices for them. And the opposite of that, the opposite of it in our passage is, uh, is hate. It's murder. That's a contrast that, that John brings out in our text. He says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, right, who was of the evil one and who murdered, who, uh, that's a pretty strong term there, who slaughtered, who butchered his brother. Um, so left to ourselves, the Bible says that we don't love. You know, we don't give life. We don't give ourselves. We don't give up control. We don't give, lay down our life for the other person. We take. We take in. Uh, we, we take life. We manipulate to get for ourselves. And we have a distorted version of love that allows us to, um, to do that, right? We're driven by envy, by resentment, by greed, selfish ambition, hate, all these things that you can see in Cain, which we read about in Genesis 4, the Old Testament reading. The result is, I'm always looking how to advance myself, even if that means at your expense. And the happiest arrangement we can make for that is where we agree to kind of do that with each other. I need you, and you're going to say, you need me. And so we're going to get along, right? Um... And that's the only alternative to real love, that kind of self-absorbed, taking, uh, even to the point of hatred, even to the point of murder of other people. That's, that's the only alternative to true love, right? Uh, it says, whoever does not love abides in death. You've only got two options, love and life, or hatred and death. Whoever does not love abides in death. And he says, you know, closing your heart Closing your heart, seeing your brother's need, a visible, tangible need, and closing your heart off to that, which is uh, probably interpreted by a lot of us as just indifference or avoidance, right? It's tantamount to hatred, right? That's what he's talking about in this passage is even just closing your heart is being like Cain. You only have two options. You love and you give yourself. You give up control of your life, or you take, and you hate, and there's death. Um, True love is characterized by self-denial for the sake of the other. It says, I'm giving your needs priority over my life, even over my needs. Giving your needs priority, it gives up the management of your wealth, it gives up the management of your comfort, of your security, uh, sometimes even to the point of death like it did for Jesus, for the good of the other. And no one has ever done that like Jesus did that. Nobody has ever done that. Uh, Nobody ever had more to give up. And no one ever gave more fully. Because being God, being God, he became a servant. And he humbled himself and he died for us. Which leads to the third point that I want to make is that uh, there's a concrete expression, right? True love has concrete expressions. Uh, Jesus didn't just come into the world to say pleasant words, to say loving things to us. 
We know what love is, not because he said it, but because he demonstrated it concretely and historically as he took our sin on himself and as he died under the weight of it on the cross to atone for us, to accomplish our salvation, to reconcile us to God forever. There's a concrete expression to love, and that's how we know what love is, is that Jesus did something tangible and visible. God's love manifested itself in real self-giving, real suffering, real death to achieve a real purpose. So true love is concrete, it's specific. Right? That's brought out when um, you know, he takes this language that's just generic, you know, loving the brothers in general, and says, a brother. Right? If you see a brother, it's a lot easier for us to just think nice thoughts in general of all the people in the church. It's a lot easier for us to do that than it is to see a brother and see a need and move toward that, not close our heart off to that, right? But that's the specificity uh, component of true love that John is saying is, is if it's going to be true love, it's going to include that. John knows this. He brings it out. <clears throat> he says uh, in verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, that's a work or action, right? In deed and in truth, reality, you know, genuineness. So love has an internal heart component, and it often includes words, but if you try to make feelings and words sufficient as like a substitute for tangible, specific actions, then it's not love. It's not true love. That's uh, not according to our passage anyway. If anyone has the world's uh, world's goods, now this this word for goods is uh, another word for life. You see this word life, um, in English you see the word life in our passage several times, Uh, usually talking about kind of your soul, your internal aspect of life, but this is like the external. It's bios is the word behind this. Uh, It's it's your livelihood. It's the world's goods that you need to stay alive. It's the the external aspect of life, right? Um, And if anyone has the life of the world, the, the, the life of this tangible world, the world's goods, and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's not just talking about if you have an overabundance of the world's goods. It's saying if you have the world's goods, if you have what makes for staying alive for another day, right? Not necessarily in surplus. If you have what it takes to stay alive and you see someone specific in need and you close your heart off, I mean, there's got to be that concrete expression, right? The implication is that someone who sees a brother in need will be driven by the heart of love, by the guts of love, um, to meet that need tangibly in acts of love. Faith has to work through love, right? So James says in chapter 2 of his epistle, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? If you see a single mom coming to the church who's having trouble paying rent and, uh, and raising her kids, and you wish her well, but you don't give up your bios, your life, your livelihood, to meet her visible needs, what good is that? If you say, oh, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you, but you don't ask, how can I help you? What good is that? That's not true love. If Jesus came only to do that, if he came only to tell us 
of God's well-wishing for us, where would we be? Love had to go further than well-wishing or words. True love, selfless love, has concrete expression or else it's not true love. And when it does, it causes a response. When true love uh, finds its expression, you give yourself um, to another in a tangible way, it causes a response. Uh, It may not always cause the response we'd like. That's clear in the text. But uh, there's a response. True love either stimulates a like response of love or it provokes hate. Because true love, when when it finds expression, it polarizes. It polarizes into those two things. uh, The response to it is either a response of love or a response of hate. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So his selfless gift of himself, his selfless gift of love, should result in our selfless gift of ourselves in love for each other. And when we know that we have received a love like his, when we've received a love that we don't deserve, right, uh, at great cost to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, it should be a joyful prospect to love others in the same kind of ways. We'll look for ways to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Right? We'll look for ways to do that when we've been, um, as our response to his selfless gift really expressed through the gospel of Christ, Unfortunately, that's not always our response to God's love. Um, When Cain saw the mutual love that existed between God and his brother, when he looked at that and he saw that mutual love, he became jealous, he became envious and resentful and hateful, and the result was murder. So he was polarized by that love, away from love. When the world saw God's love personified in Jesus Christ, the same thing, their reaction was to kill him. That's the world's response to this kind of true love. And now, when the world sees the mutual love that exists between God and the church and the the love that we share within the church, we're not supposed to be surprised, the text says, when the world hates us. It says, do not be surprised when the world hates you, when it persecutes you. Because true love is foreign to the world, and the world feels condemned by its existence. True love is is a foreign concept in this world, and the world, when it sees true love, it feels condemned, and so it lashes out in response. And the response, then, that one has to true love, which you see, which you know because of the gospel, Jesus coming into the world and laying down his life for you to reconcile you to God, You see that, and the response that you have to it, it's an indicator when you respond with hate or even indifference, as the text says, closing your heart. Um, Then it says something about you. And when you respond with love, it says something different. And that leads to the fifth, final point, is that um, true love then, I think on our part, is a confirmation of eternal life. This, this really is the main point of the section of John's letter. It ties in really well with the overall themes of his whole letter. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Uh, I think another way to say that last sentence uh, with John's kind of writing in mind is no murderer has Jesus abiding in him. Um, John Stott summarizes this passage very well. He makes it very clear for us when he says that hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. So when our response to God's true love in the gospel is a response of love, when we love the brothers, as we're being encouraged to do in this passage, when we love the brothers because of the fact that Jesus loved us, it says that we no longer belong to death, but we belong to life. Life is about love, after all. Um, life is about love because of who God is, because God is a God of love. We'll see in a few weeks when it says God is love, right? Because God is a trinity. God's the living God because he's the loving God, because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternal life is knowing and loving the God of love. That's what eternal life is, and it, it's a quality of life. It's not just duration. We've talked about this a few times Eternal life is not just what you can expect in the future to continue on forever. It has that component to it, but the way that John's using it here, it's something that you have right now, right? It's something that, it's a quality that we can possess now as we abide in Christ, as eternal life abides in us, right? Um, It says, um, I use those two things interchangeably because that's the way John uses it. Eternal life and Jesus Christ are the same, right? First uh, John 1, it says, it's, he's talking about the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And in First John 5, he says it even clearer. He, Jesus, is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. Um, life is about love, which means that those who don't love, right, but who are indifferent, which is the same as hate, self-absorption, taking for ourselves, those who don't love, those who don't give themselves and, and know Jesus Christ in a way that causes them to give themselves, those, those who don't love but hate, they don't belong to the realm of life but to the realm of death. Right? Because God and love and self-sacrifice and eternal life go together and the devil and hate and murder and death go together. And those realms don't mix and there's no third, middle, neutral ground to stand on. There's no third way. Um, you need to make sure that you understand that I'm not saying that love is a prerequisite for life, that your love is a prerequisite for you having eternal life. It's an indicator of it. True love is a confirmation. Your true love for others is a confirmation of eternal life. Uh, Stephen Smalley is a commentator on this. He says that uh, love is the sign, not the ground, of eternal life. Christian love is the consequence of salvation. I think it's important for us to think about that. If you're trying to perform charitable acts in order to feel okay about yourself, in order to feel good about your relationship with God, in order to get somewhere with God, then you're going to end up severely disappointed. If that's your conception of what it means to have a relationship with God, 
I'm going to perform charitable acts so that I know that I'm in this camp, so that I'm in this camp, right? So that I have eternal life. I'm going to do this so I can feel good about that. Then you're going to end up severely disappointed. We've got tangible ways to love one another in this church, right? We have Mercy Sunday. We've got ways that we can give to a diaconal fund that assists the real needs of people. We've got ways to give to people in the local school um, uh, food that they need. We've got tangible ways for people to express their love. If you're doing that to feel okay about yourself, rather than as a real response to the true love of Christ in the gospel, then that's not okay. You're not going to be okay. If you are giving, if you are charitable, if you are generous, if you're moving out to meet people's needs in real acts of love or what appear to be real acts of love um, in order to get somewhere with God, in order to salve your conscience, feel good about yourself, it's very natural to do this, but that's not true love, right? True love is a response and a confirmation. And this is a warning that we need to hear because John wasn't contrasting people in the church everybody, of course, who knows what true love is and does it right, with those who are outside the church who have no inkling of what true love is. He's not, he's not making that kind of contrast, right? He's not contrasting people inside the church with totally unchurched people. In this letter, he always has in mind true believers versus false believers. It's people who come to church, people who make a profession of faith in Christ. Some of them really are Christians, and some of them are not. And that's always the categories that John's using uh, throughout this letter. People who claim to be Christians but who don't demonstrate a real relationship with God in response to his grace. Versus those who do have the true marks of having a real relationship. They've, they've experienced God's grace through Christ. And their life now is a response to that. <clears throat> right? So John's not saying, if you love people well enough, you'll be alright. God will love you. You'll get eternal life. He's not saying that. He is saying, if you know God's love for you, if you really know that, if you have that response to God's love for you, then, then you will love other people, particularly people in the church, your brothers and sisters in the faith. Right? So uh, the question is, has, has the compassion of God, has the self-gift of God, has the concrete expression of God's love in the gospel, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, has that created a response in you? A response of the same kind of love, the same true kind of love? Has God's love created a response in you? Has his love given you everything you need so that your love is not trying to get what you need from other people? It's, it's focused on their needs, not your own. You find all your needs met in the gospel, in God's love for you, so that in your love, uh, it's not about your needs, but about theirs. If so, then you can rest assured that eternal life abides in you, that Jesus himself abides in you, that the one who is the self-gift of, of God's love come into the world, that that one, through his spirit, abides in you. Right? And if that's not true, if your response... Um, to God's love is one of indifference uh, or resistance or even resentment at the idea of receiving God's mercy and, and his love. And my advice to you is not, hey man, you need, to, you need to become a more loving person. That's not the advice. 
right? If your response to God's love has been indifference or hatred or resentment, if your response to God's love is that, then uh, this text is not saying you need to become a more loving person so you can know right, that you have a relationship with God. My advice to you then is you need to spend more time thinking about the love of God. You need to spend more time thinking about the love of God for you. You need to sit down with the gospel of Jesus Christ and let it sink into you, into your soul. You need to get into relationships where that's going to happen, right? Relationships where you're encouraging one another primarily with the truth of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. You need to uh, observe true love as it's clearly shown to us in the scriptures and in the church. We're all gathered here for the same reason, right? Um, to let God's love work among us. You need to let God's compassion penetrate your heart and have its way with you. My advice to you is not you need to be a more loving person. My advice is you need to absorb more of God's love. You need to sit with that. His true love for you, it's his love for you that has to create that response of your true love or else whatever kind of love you have for others, it just won't be true love. It won't be. Uh, it won't be an indicator of eternal life for you. And if you're worried about whether that describes you, you can come and talk to me. You can come talk to one of our elders, talk to any Christian here. Um, that's what we're here for, right? We're here to help each other believe the gospel and to be changed by it, right? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I know um, that it's true for me, and it's it's got to be true for my friends here, too, that... Um, your love has not penetrated the depths of my heart the way that uh, I wish it would. It hasn't made the change in me and in my love um, in the ways that I wish it would. And, um, and so I pray that you would give me and my friends here a, a greater uh, understanding of your love for us, that the height and depth and width and breadth of it would become truer to us, that we would know it, in all of its fullness, that we would uh, be able to say, uh, along with John here, that we know what love is because we've looked at you, because we've seen you, Jesus Christ, in your life and your death and in your resurrection and ascension. We've seen who you are and what you've done for us by your grace. Uh, we've seen you give yourself to the utter end for us. And uh, we pray that you would fix our eyes on you and on the gospel uh, until we know what your love is. And until we're changed by it, um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.